What's up, nerds, and welcome to the Nerd History Podcast, the newest addition to the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. The Nerd History Podcast exists to do what all nerds love the most, talk about the history of their favorite fandoms until the person they're talking to is blue in the face. <laughs> Each episode will spotlight one particular nerd history event from that week and take a deep dive into the fandom, the lore, and the nerdy facts. I'm Radio Matt, the Director of Content and Resources for Love Thy Nerd and Station Manager for LTN Radio. And with me today and forevermore is my amazing bride, Daedra. Hello, I'm Daedra. <laughs> today on the show, we're going to be diving into the Delta Quadrant as Star Trek Voyager which premiered 29 years ago. 29 years ago. Oh, man. Uh, wow. I'll tell you what else felt like 29 years. What? Six hours I spent puking oh, God. this past really? weekend. You're going to bring that up? All week long, individual members of our family caught a stomach bug. I think and, that it just weakened with every individual. No, I got it worse than anybody. Yeah, okay. Excuse you. <laughs> she barely had a little tummy ache for like two hours. I know. I was the last she one. She got it off so easy. I'm very excited that she didn't have to experience what I experienced. But I'm also kind of mad about it. <laughs> but first... Today is January 15th, so let's start by taking a look at what is celebrating an anniversary today. First up, the very first Super Bowl. Wow. In 1967, the Green Bay Packers versus Kansas City Chiefs faced off on the first Super Bowl. Or at the first Super Bowl known as the Super Bowl I. Okay, there we go. I need to read these <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> I thought that was an I. Known as Super Bowl One, the Packers emerged as champions in the historic battle. <laughs> Our kids like the <clears throat> Kansas City Chiefs for some reason. I We're not understand. even into football. Yeah. But I don't understand how it came about. I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't understand how they know who Patrick Mahomes is. Right. <laughs> but they both okay. wanted jerseys. Uh so Eli has a Patrick Mahomes uh poster. Poster. And Johnny's looking at the picture, and he goes, that's not Patrick Mahomes. I'm like, I, I think it is. <laughs> like, I don't think they'd make a poster. <laughs> so he really doesn't know who he is. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> so it wasn't known as the Super Bowl at the time. It was officially called the AFL-NFL World Championship Game. The name Super Bowl was adopted later. Well, that, um, that doesn't count then. I, I mean, it, retroactively, it's the first. They counted as the first. They started counting with that one. So there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> the average ticket price for the Super Bowl one ticket was twelve dollars. Wow. With some tickets available for as low as six dollars. Wow. In contrast, recent Super Bowl tickets have been significantly more expensive. Mm -hmm. In twenty twenty three, depending on the seats available, prices started just below five thousand dollars and went all the way up to around thirty six thousand dollars for the most premium seats oh my gosh i'm sorry if you're paying that much to go see the super bowl you're stupid <laughs> who cares if you're there in person you don't get to hear the announcers call the shots you don't get to see the cool commercials and you don't get to sit in the comfort of your own living room you're miserable you're often surrounded by a bunch cold, of right? sweaty mm -hmm. Freezing cold men, <laughs> sweaty and freezing cold at the same time, 
screaming, spilling drinks on you in a tiny cramped oh, seat yes. that your butt doesn't fit in. <laughs> I think we're getting into my personal problems. I apologize. I think so. Super Bowl that one was, was held. <laughs> The Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, which was uh, far from being sold out. There were around 30,000 empty seats in the stadium. Wow. For this event. Yeah. Well, because it wasn't called the Super Bowl. It wasn't. It was called the boring championship game. Next up. <laughs> in 1989, WWF held the first Royal Rumble, Rumble paper, <laughs> pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> in Houston, Texas. Though not the first Royal Rumble match, this PPV quickly became the second most popular wrestling event of the year after WrestleMania. The winner of the match was Big John Stud. <laughs> now I know all about wrestling, but uh-huh. there is somebody who'd like to tag in oh, that really? knows a little bit more. Okay. Take it away. Oh, yeah, listen up and look into my eyes. It's Macho Man, Randy Savage, here with some Royal Rumble facts that are sure to suplex your brain. The Royal Rumble match is known for its unique format, where 30 wrestlers enter at timed intervals, typically every 90 seconds to two minutes. But I got you for three minutes of playtime. To be eliminated, a wrestler must be thrown over the top rope and had both their feet hit the ground outside of the ring. Since 1993, oh, dig it, the winner of the Royal Rumble match traditionally earns a world championship match at mm, WrestleMania, WWE's biggest event of the year. Rey Mysterio set the record for the longest time spent in a single Royal Rumble match, lasting one hour, two minutes, and 12 seconds in 2006. Oh, dig it, yeah, Santino Morella holds the record for the shortest time in the Royal Rumble match, lasting only one second. Are you listening to me? Can you hear it? Look into my eyes. One second in 2009. This year's Royal Rumble is the 37th event and will be available to view on Peacock Saturday, January 27th. Snap into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Savage. So much. Very enlightening. (laughs) Moving on. In 2010, (laughs) the book of Eli. Oh, I'm reading your line. You're reading my line. Moving on. It's because I do terrible. In 2010, (laughs) the book of Eli premiered in theaters. The book of Eli is a post-apocalyptic action film (laughs) featuring Denzel Washington as a lone wanderer in a desolate world, guarding a mysterious book believed to hold the key to humanity's survival. (laughs) You really like tiptoe through that word. Post-apocalyptic. Denzel Washington performed his own stunts in the film. He trained for six months with martial artist Dan Inosanto, a former student of Bruce Lee, to prepare for his role. Wow. There is a popular fan theory that Denzel Washington's character, Eli, is actually blind, which is supported by various subtle hints throughout the film. Is it true? I don't know. It's a theory. The final scenes of the movie were filmed on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco, which in the movie's universe has been turned into a repository for human knowledge and culture. I don't want to give away what the book is. Okay. I don't remember much about this movie. You and I have only watched it one time. Yeah. But it was pretty good. And it was surprising at the end. 
surprise. I liked it. I mean, it was 24, wait, 14 years ago. Is that how long that is? Yeah. So I feel like if they don't know. But I also feel like this is one of those movies that is <laughs> like, it's not Star Wars, you know, it's not something that stuck out as like, of course you have to watch it and find out. And if you don't watch it in the next six months, it's on you. Uh-huh. It's this was like a, I mean, I don't remember this being a big deal. This was like an under the radar kind of movie. Maybe. And if people haven't heard about it or discovered it yet, I want them to go see it and I want them to have the right experience. So you're withholding information on purpose, so yes. they'll go watch it. Go watch the movie. It's gotcha. good. Okay. Denzel Washington. You can't go wrong. <laughs> All right. Now we can move on. <laughs> In 2021, WandaVision premiered on Disney+. Plus. Ooh, I like WandaVision. Such a good show. WandaVision is a unique blend of classic television and the Marvel Cinematic Universe where Wanda Maximoff, I've never known that to be her last name, <laughs> and Vision, two superpowered beings living their idea suburban lives, begin to suspect that everything is not as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good show. Kicked off the whole Disney Plus TV series yeah. thing, which has yeah. been mm-hmm. very hit or miss, but... Started off with a hit. Yeah. This was really good. I liked it. Uh, followed by, of course, Loki. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. I liked it. It's okay. Yeah. And then it's just been miss, 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 hit, miss, miss, <laughs> hit kind of thing. Each episode of WandaVision pays homage to a different era of American television, starting with the 1950s, which is reflected in the show's writing, set design, and filming techniques. Uh, as you may recall, first episode, black and white, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. four by three format or four, three format, however it's called, uh, a square, really cool. square format, <laughs> Instagram format. There we go. Uh, <laughs> like it was really fun, really fun stuff. Uh, the song Agatha all along, which reveals Agnes's true identity is Agatha Harkness. So you'll just, yeah, if they haven't watched this by now, oh my gosh, <laughs> Such a hypocrite. (laughs) Became an unexpected hit, topping iTunes charts and going viral on social media. Really? Yeah. Uh, For scenes in black and white, Paul Bettany, who plays Vision, had to wear blue makeup instead of red that he normally wears uh, because the blue appeared more natural and in tone with the grayscale palette. That's that's weird. Yeah. And that is all we got for today. Every day at lovethynerd.com slash nerdhistory, we post an article and accompanying video spotlighting that day in nerd history with pictures, descriptions, nerdy facts, and some commentary. So make sure you start your day with lovethynerd.com every day. <laughs> now it's time for a game. My wah, favorite. Oh, I might win this one. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> Each each week, we go head-to-head in a game to put our nerdy nostalgia knowledge to the test. I said it. We will ask each other five questions, all multiple choice. If we get the answer wrong, we have to guess again. And with each wrong answer, we earn an X. The fewest Xs at the end of the round wins. So far, it's it's two to one. No, two to none. I'm sorry. Two to none. Yeah, I haven't won anything. You haven't won anything yet. We're going to flip a coin, and whoever wins... Answers first? Sure. Okay. So you can call it. <laughs> tails. Can Ooh. you confirm that is tails? It is that is tails. tails. I get to so go Pedro first. Pedro gets to answer questions first. 
Uh, today we're going to be taking a stab at some Star Trek trivia. Yeah. Now it's not just Voyager. I know we're talking about Voyager today, but it's all of Star Trek. Uh, and there's a lot of it now. <laughs> yeah. So much, and a lot that you haven't even seen. I don't know any of the new stuff, yeah. so that's why Most I'm of like, the new yeah. stuff you don't even know. I know a lot of it, but I not well enough that I, not 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 well <laughs> enough that I memorized facts or names of characters or anything like that. Yeah, that's like true. the old stuff. So let's give her a shot. All right, let's try it. What type of pet oh, does Captain Archer have on Enterprise? <laughs> a turtle, a fish, a dog, or a cat? A dog. <laughs> Second or twenty second century beagle, Porthos, is Captain Archer's closest companion and confidant. Mm-hmm. All right. What two stars of Star Trek Deep Space Nine were married in real life in nineteen ninety seven? Oh. Do you know this? No. Was it Alexander Siddig and Michael Dorn? Was it Armin Shimmerman and Nana Visitor? Was it Michael Dorn and Terry Farrell? Or was it Alexander Siddig and Nana Visitor? So it's uh, some combination of those four people. (laughs) One, I don't know who any of those actors play. I know who Michael Dorn is. (laughs) Is Armin Shimmerman, is he the doctor guy? Who? I, Deep Space Nine is not my jam. I don't know any of the characters. I only know the Michael genius Dorn. Doctor. I don't remember the oh genius doctor on Deep Space Nine. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to lose yes. the game. Do you see this? <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Can you point at me? Let's go. Do you see this? <laughs> Let's go with Michael Dorn and Terry Farrell. No. <laughs> Armin Shimmerman, a Nana visitor. visitor. No. <laughs> Alexander Siddig, a Nana visitor. Yay! Ding, ding. Deep Space Nine characters. Oh, Alexander see, Siddig, Dr. Julian Bashir. That's, that's the, the doctor. doctor. Duh. And Nana visitor, Major Kira Nearis. Wow. Uh, we're married in real life, 1997, wow. after the show's fourth season. Mm. Michael Dorn is Worf. I know that. Oh. I only know that because it's from a different show. <laughs> First. Okay. Well, that's cool. I didn't know they were really married. Oh, that's cute. Uh, I don't remember who the second one is. Who's the second one? Who's Major Kira Nearest? Major Kira, the Bajoran. She's the Bajoran Major, one? Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. I got that. I got <laughs> who was the first real astronaut to appear on any Star Trek episode? Was it John? I forgot to read the <laughs> options. Was it John Glenn, Krista McAuliffe, uh, Neil Armstrong, or May Jimison? I only know two of those astronaut names. You're lucky you got to go first because I know this one. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it an astronaut I would know? I'm not going to tell you Come that because <laughs> there's two of them I'm sure you know, and two of them that I'm sure you don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll say John Glenn. John Glenn. What a ah! loser. I mean, is it Neil Armstrong? I feel like that's too obvious. <laughs> Let's try it. Ah! Those are the two I know. Krista McAuliffe. <laughs> May Jensen, the first real astronaut to appear in any Star Trek show. She played Lieutenant Palmer in Star Trek The Next Generation episode entitled Second Chances. Wow. <laughs> Does she die? Uh, 
she, I don't believe she dies. I don't think okay. they would do that. Right? Uh, right she was also terrible. the first uh, African-American woman in space. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good job, May. <laughs> Good job. Good job. My middle name is May. Yes, it is. Spelled that way, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Fourth question. In what Star Trek series did writer Larry Niven introduce the cat-like alien race, the Kzinti? I don't know how you say that. Kzinti? Zinti? Zinti? Is the K silent? Zinti. Into the Star Trek universe. Was it Voyager, the animated series, Enterprise, or the original series? A cat-like alien race. Alien race, the Zinti. I don't recall a cat-like alien race named the Zinti. I know it exists because in the Lower Decks show, their doctor is one of them. And they do a lot of cat jokes. (laughs) That makes me think then the original series. I'm going to go with the original series. The animated series. Correct. Okay. Okay. In Slaver Weapon, an episode of Star Trek the Animated Series, writer Larry Niven introduced the cat-like alien race, the Xenthi, from uh, his known space novels into the Star Trek universe. Okay. Uh, uh, uh. What right. am I at here? Last question. What am I at? How many X's? Oh, I'm I sorry. Know. I want to know. One, two, three, four, five, uh, six. You have six so X's. So many. That's how many you had last time. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Who was the first Star Trek actor to write a Star Trek story? Was it George Takei? Kai? I never know if that's Takei or Takai. Walter, is it, do you know? Takei. Takei? Okay. Walter, Co- I don't know how to pronounce that either. Koenig? Koenig? William Shatner or Leonard Nimoy? <laughs> um, so we're, we're the all, first all actor original to series, write guys. a Star Trek story. I'm going to say William Shatner. Probably. Nah, he seems like a hanger-on. He seems like the kind of guy that's like, what, you're writing one? Oh, I'm not going to have to write one now. <laughs> that's what he seems like to me. Leonard Nimoy. Ah! Oh, I thought it was him. George. Oh, Dang it. oh, no. What the heck? It was Walter Koenig who wrote an episode of Star Trek The Animated Series entitled The Infinite Vulcan. Became the first Star Trek actor to ever write a Star Trek story. Over the following decades, many Trek actors would write films, novels, and comic books based on Star Trek, and many more would direct TV episodes and movies. Well, I still suck. Jumped up to nine X's on that. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Should we even finish? Yes. (laughs) My turn. Ooh, starting with Voyager. What was Seven of Nine's name before she was assimilated by the Borg? <laughs> this is stupid. You got an easy one to start with, too, dog. And even Belana? <laughs> that's another character. Yes, Why would you choose that? Oh, that's like the first name of an actual character. That was <gasps> silly. <laughs> Naomi? Annika? Natoya? Neoda. Neoda? Okay. Oh, yeah, that makes okay. sense. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's one of the more unique names. <laughs> uh, it was Annika, wasn't it? It was Annika. Yes. 709 was born Annika Hansen, the daughter of eccentric exobiologist Magnus and Aaron Hansen. <laughs> she was assimilated by the Borg at age six, along with her parents. Mm-hmm. 
Boom. Who is the youngest captain in Starfleet history? Catherine Janeway, James T. Kirk, Wesley Crusher, <laughs> Joseph Pike, jo- Christopher. Sorry. Joseph Pike. Joseph. <laughs> Christopher Pike. <laughs> is that a person? That sounds like a real name. I don't know. Joseph Pike. Well, Joseph's a real name. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> uh, it's not Wesley Crusher. He was never a captain. He got recruited into that weird secret government agency. Where he's captain. Not a captain. He doesn't have a ship. <laughs> he like portals places. It's weird. Was it Kirk? It seems like too easy, but was it Kirk? In the movies, the redo movies, it was Kirk, right? In the new oh, ones, the, the Kelvin Universe with, uh, movies. With those, with those. It guys. wasn't Pike. Doubt it was Catherine. She, no. She's old. Kirk, yay! James Kirk was born in Riverside, Iowa, on twenty second of March, twenty two thirty three. And at the age of 34, becomes the youngest captain in Starfleet history. Okay. okay. 34. I could be wow. captain right now. Right. What have we so done with we... our lives? I mean, he was captain Look by what now. we're doing. He was a captain of a starship, and we're doing a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Two middle-aged people doing a podcast. <laughs> oh. What is the Klingon home world? Oh, God. Enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> the next one, too. <laughs> <They're both>. Doctor? <laughs> Come on, use, like use, doctor. A, use an accent. Doctor? <laughs> doctor? Kapekt? <laughs> Kwapla? <laughs> and Kronos? <laughs> Kunos? Kunos? Konos? Konos? Konos is jumping out at me. So I'm going to say Konos. I hate you. Konos. I've known these, translated, I Transliterated as Kronos. All of them. <laughs> it's the Klingon home world and capital of the Klingon Empire. Okay. <sighs> According to Klingon mythology, what is the place where all life began? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I told you the next one too. <laughs> Kitu? Puda Dakcha Kwandak and Parmach. I'm sure I've pronounced them all correctly. Puda Dakcha. Kwandak. I feel like one of those oh. is probably a cuss word. Parmach. Oh, Puda Dakcha. Kitu. Kitu. Also spelled Kitu? I don't know. Also spelled Kitu. <laughs> was a Klingon term for paradise and the source of all creation. Wow, uh. I thought it was Parmach. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's go. Last one. So you got to get like seven wrong to get Yeah, there's no way you're winning here. Uh huh. What was the first ship James T. Kirk served on? USS Dakota, USS Enterprise, USS Farragut, Farragut, or USS Yorktown. See, the movies are screwing me up. Because Kelvin Timeline messed all that up, right? And bumped him up directly into the Enterprise from the Academy. But he was supposed to do other stuff. But he was stuff. supposed to rise in the ranks. 
So I'm trying to remember. He's on that ship, I think, in Strange New Worlds, mm. where he visits the Enterprise every now and then because his brother right. works on the Enterprise. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Yorktown. Dang it! Is it Farragut? Farragut. That's, that's what I thought it was. Upon graduation, James Kirk was promoted to lieutenant and posted on the USS Farragut under Captain Garavik. All right. So you had nine, <sighs> yeah. and I had four. Yay. High five. Congratulate me. Thank you. I already did earlier. <laughs> I already I demand, did. I demand more. Well, that does it for our game. <laughs> Let's take a trip back to 1995. 1995. Ooh. In 1995, Star Trek Voyager premiered on UPN. Voyager follows the adventures of the USS Voyager and its crew as they navigate the challenges of being stranded in the Delta Quadrant, 70,000 light years from Earth. It's our favorite Star Trek show. It is. Right? It is. I, Strange New Worlds <laughs> is starting to, Uh-oh. No. to take, take over in my brain. No. It's such a good show. <laughs> It has done so well. Them. Yeah. They had a musical episode, babe. Voyager didn't have a musical That's episode. True. That's true. And it was really good, too. It was real good. I'm going to, I want to watch it again. I'm going to watch it again this <laughs> weekend. Go watch it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Voyager, uh, a renowned American sci fi TV show, is the brainchild of creators Rick Berman, Michael Piller, and Jerry Taylor, spanning from January 16th, 1995 to May 23rd, 2001. The series aired on UPN, not on CBS like wow. previous shows. Yeah. Uh, compromises, uh, compromises, comp comprises 172 episodes across seven seasons, making it the fifth installment in the esteemed Star Trek saga set mm -hmm. in the 24th century within a universe where Earth is a member of the United Federation of Planets. <laughs> The narrative centers around the Starfleet ship, the Voyager. Uh, the series focuses on Voyager's daunting journey back to the Alpha Quadrant. So they get mm -hmm. marooned in the Delta Quadrant, mm -hmm. slingshotted, if you will, by some mm -hmm. higher intelligence that then dies and can't send them back. The caretaker. The caretaker. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> located complete opposite side of the Milky Way galaxy. Right. Uh, yeah. It would take them most of their lives to get home, mm -hmm. uh, is what they figure out at the beginning right so yeah. the whole series kind of becomes finding ways to skip across faster right. to get home faster uh -huh. and uh you know you sprinkle those bits in once or twice a season and then the rest it's like alien of the week or you know, right. you yeah. know that kind of thing like any other star trek show they're of course met with many foe many foe <laughs> I gotta say though, my favorite thing about Voyager is the the Borg parts of it. Yeah, it yeah. really made the Borg storyline jump kind of leaps and bounds ahead because uh -huh. the Borg originated in the Delta Quadrant. Right, right. And so you get to see their kind of home. You're on their turf. Yeah. It's not them yeah. finding their way to Earth. It's now you're in their territory, mm -hmm. and you're trying to escape them. Did you know that's like what? I watched the first episode of Next Generation, and like he mentions, they're from the Delta Quadrant. Oh, Cutest. I didn't know that was yeah, already. Yeah, it was like an, an established uh -huh. thing. I was like, oh. Well, that's cool. Wow. 
even cooler. Yeah. So the series was greenlit by Paramount Pictures following the conclusion of Star Trek The Next Generation with the intention of bolstering the launch of the newly established network of UPN at the time. So this is um, this is what they wanted to do with Star Trek Phase 2 earlier, like what what, what became two. the movie. Oh, okay. They were originally going to do a new series okay. to launch a new network, but then that crumbled and they made it into a movie instead. Pretty lackluster oh, movie. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they did do this now with UPN uh, and put Star Trek Voyager on UPN that ran concurrently with Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Not the entire seven years, but most of the, I think of the last four years of DS9. I don't remember the timeline now. Yeah. There was a lot of overlap. Yes. There was uh-huh. a good period of time where both shows were running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that ensured a consistent thematic link to the narratives established by the next generation and Deep Space Nine while still giving them a different story to tell. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't. As you okay. say, Deep Space Nine doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. It and was in the later. like, I'm going to go all across <laughs> the whole galaxy. It was in the later seasons of DS9 when Voyager started because it was it was in the that war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it called? The, the Dominion War? Is that what it was? No, not the Dominion War. Not the Dominion War. It was just the Maquis. The Maquis right? battle, whatever it was. Yeah. The battle with the Maquis. Yeah. That started then. And that's kind of how this started is both Voyager and was it a Maquis ship that also uh-huh. got pulled? Yeah. Uh-huh. And a Maquis ship. And so they had to realize, okay, hey, we're all stranded here. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to work together. Mm-hmm. And, and the Maquis ship is like destroyed. Or yeah. They had to be on Voyager. Un- unsavable. Right. Yeah. It was a big deal. It's cool. It's a cool uh-huh. storyline. It's a cool way to start uh-huh. the show. I was engaged like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so a, as- a groundbreaking aspect of Voyager is the introduction of the first female commanding officer as a main character mm-hmm. in Catherine Janeway, mm-hmm. portrayed by Kate Mulgrew. Uh, Rick Berman led the production as the head executive producer, supported by a team of executive producers, including Pillar Taylor, Brandon Braga, and Kenneth Biller. Uh, so it's like a seven, they figured it was going to be 75 years 75. to get back okay. to earth after being stranded, stranded in the Delta quadrant, making it more of a story of survival and exploration. Um, like some things they couldn't do as much that you took for granted on the other shows, such as the replicators, the other right, shows, you can use right. replicators yeah. all you mm-hmm. want. They have to conserve Here, they, their yeah, energy. They're very rationed right. out. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that's why they bring on a an alien hitchhiker, as it were, uh, in Neelix, <laughs> who earns his keep by being the cook. And they gather food from planets and make a and bunch of weird And from the beginning, it was food. also, you know this area. Right, yeah, he became their kind of guide for yeah. a little while. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we got a few more facts here, Deidre. You want to read those real quick? Sure. The Borg Queen, a pivotal character in the Star Trek lore, made her first appearance in Voyager, further exploring the complex hierarchy of the Borg, Borg Collective. Mm-hmm. So she was before the movies. She was she before was the movies. Voyager. Yeah. Is it the same actor? It. Uh, I don't think it's the same one for the movie. I think the TV show had a different actor, but the same actor every time she appeared in the show. Right. Right. And then another actor brought her back in Picard. Okay. But they're all very similar looking. They do a very good job with the makeup and everything to make right. them look make the same. Right, make them look the same. Huh. Okay. 
Uh, Voyager introduced species 8472. A powerful alien race from a fluidic space presenting one of the few species resistant to the Borg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hated those episodes. (laughs) They're creepy. They're creepy episodes. (laughs) The series was one of the first television shows to use computer-generated imagery. CGI. For its exterior space shots, particularly for the Starship Voyager itself. Yeah. Every show and movie up to that point. It was a model. We were the, yeah, the little models. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And so this is the first one to be able to use CGI. And it looked really good because you couldn't really tell the difference Mm -hmm. between the other ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, The character of the doctor, which is the holographic medical program because their doctor is killed. Right. Mm -hmm. In this transfer. Uh, evolved significantly over the series, becoming one of the most beloved characters and exploring themes of artificial intelligence and personhood. Mm-hmm. Voyager delved into complex ethical and philosophical issues, including episodes that tackled holographic rights. Right. Reminiscent of the AI <laughs> rights debates that we're oh. kind of having now. Oh, dear. Will this become a real thing? <laughs> We've already gotten to the point that AI can program other AI <laughs> How much longer until we have AGI with computer AI that believes itself sentient? Oh, dear. Uh, so there's an interview coming out here in the near future, which we'll talk about a little bit more towards the end here, uh-huh. where uh, Picardo, Robert Picardo, who played the doctor, says that what he really liked about the character at the beginning was that he got to be like the anti-Starfleet officer. He got to be rude, obnoxious, (laughs) annoying. You got to be all the things that you're not supposed to be as an an officer. Uh So you got to be the, just not really the foil. He wasn't a bad guy. Right. He was just, he 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 got to to be (laughs) self-centered. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Which I love. I think that's fantastic. Uh, So while largely episodic, Voyager did occasionally employ a more serialized storytelling format. Uh, a precursor to the narrative style that's been adopted by Discovery, Picard, all the newer shows. Hmm. Um, and that's that's good and bad. Discovery, where its whole narrative thing, I, I, it feels too much. Yeah. It feels like they're dragging out a, sh- a shorter story that could be two episodes into six. Mm. Um which uh, Picard, it kind of worked, but those were more like many movies, they felt like. It didn't feel right. like it was supposed to be a series. It felt like this was supposed to be a miniseries, a miniseries, a miniseries each right. season. That's why I do like Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds takes it back to the kind of episodic format. There are some overarching storylines, uh, just like in Voyager, but for the most part, it's a new thing every week. And that's what I, yeah. you know, that's what you want. You want to mix it up a little bit. Right. You don't want to feel like you're watching the same story forever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got to be challenging doing those, uh, before shows, right? Like discovery. The ones and, that are set. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the past. Cause we like already have the established. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a little bit of that canon breaking stuff every now and then that Uh they then kind of retroactively go back and fix um like uh oh i don't remember what it was now oh it was like uh, in discovery they had like holographic discussions 
Like it wasn't up on the screen. Uh, they had holograms of the people there, and like, well, that didn't. That, that wasn't a wasn't thing then. In existence, yeah. So they had yeah. to like kind of pull that back and act like that was a precursor to using it on the big screen. Mm. It was really weird. Those kind of weird things. They had yeah. to pull it back. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I applaud them for trying something new and different. I just don't think Discovery worked all that well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but everything else is. Bang on, doing real good. <laughs> Introduced in the fourth season, the character of Seven of Nine, a mm-hmm. Borg drone, became one of the most iconic characters of the series, adding depth to the show's exploration of identity and humanity. Mm-hmm. Seven replaced a character named Kess, uh, who was the girlfriend of Neelix for most of the time, uh-huh. but a weird character, only lives six or seven years, like her, really short. Yeah, I think her species only lived like. Maybe, maybe nine years. Maybe nine. It's a yeah. single digit years. Yeah. Um, Very short. Yeah. I think the idea was. When they met her, she was two. Right. I think the idea. Okay. It must have been nine. Because I'm pretty sure the idea was that she would die in the last season. And oh. it would be this emotional thing. You know, she would have grown old with the whole ship as they were going home or something like that. But her character wasn't really working all that well. So they gave her the boot, brought in seven of nine. They let her evolve into some <laughs> weird character monster. that comes back later and yeah. is all mean. Yeah. And a really good two-parter, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, seven became a main character uh, in the Picard series as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, became kind of the dual main characters with Picard mm-hmm. and Seven. Uh, so this Which is, is cool. Yeah, this is played by Jerry Ryan. Uh, she joined the cast of Voyager season four after mm-hmm. flagging ratings prompted a shakeup of the typical Star Trek format. And with the inclusion of a sexy ex-Borg, Seven of Nine, <laughs> Mulgrew had worked hard to establish Janeway, uh, Mul- uh, Kate Mulgrew had worked hard to establish uh-huh. Janeway as a smart, tenacious, and authoritative female captain, and the addition uh-huh. of Seven of Nine, with her notably skin-tight costumes, seemed to undermine Mulgrew's core belief that Voyager could and should succeed without relying on sex appeal to hold viewers' attentions. <laughs> Kate Mulgrew's opposition of Seven and Nine as a character led to Mulgrew treating Jerry Ryan poorly on Aww. set and a rumored feud arising between the two actors while Star Trek Voyager was in production. Wow. In recent years, Mulgrew has apologized for her unprofessional behavior and Mulgrew and Ryan have appeared together at conventions with no apparent ill will toward each other. In The 50-Year Mission, The Next 25 Years, by Mark A. Altman and Edward, uh, Edward Gross, Mulgrew addresses her feelings about Seven of Nine on Star Trek Voyager and takes responsibility for Ryan's onset mistreatment. She said this. Let's be very straight about something. This is on me, not Jerry. She came in and did what she was asked to do. No question about that. And she did it very well. It's on me because I'd hoped against hope that Janeway would be sufficient, that we didn't have to bring a beautiful, sexy girl in, that somehow the power of my command, my talent would be sufficient unto the day because this would really change television, right? That's what dug uh, dug me the hardest, that to pick up the numbers, they did that. That was my interpretation of it, and that hurt me. I found it sort of insulting. And, of course, she embodied the part, this beautiful girl. But we certainly were uh, were utterly professional. I had been nothing short of completely professional, and she did her job very well. It was a very good idea that she was half Borg, and it's on me. I'm sorry to be a part of this, or I'm sorry it has to be a part of this legacy, and I should have probably comported myself better. I should have been more philosophical about it, but in the moment, it was difficult. So, wow. yeah, 
the whole idea, of course, I know the sex appeal aspect of it was an aspect. Yes. Yay. But her character of a Borg trying to rediscover how to become human and what mm-hmm. it meant to be human mm-hmm. was a very compelling story. Mm-hmm. Very well told through the last four years mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, made her a fan favorite and bolstered the ratings. Like that, that became a big deal. Maybe it drew people in because of the sex appeal, but I think it kept people because of the story. Yeah. It's very good. She kind of got to replace the doctor too in his, um, dissension yeah a little bit with people as he was growing already at this point she got to be the short kind of yeah yeah negative i I don't know what you call that (laughs) but that wasn't the only issue with jerry ryan joining the cast Uh oh for a while uh while getting seven acclimated to the ship many storylines focused on her and her reintroduction to humanity excuse me Mm mm-hmm And that left little room for further development of the characters who'd been with the series from the beginning. Mm. A fact that Robert Beltran didn't appreciate, the actor who played Commander Chakotay. According to What Culture, Beltran decided that he no longer wanted to be with the series. To that end, he intended to get the producers to remove him from Voyager with a simple plan. Just keep asking for more and more money each season until they (laughs) deemed him not worth the price he was asking. That didn't happen. Paramount had the deep pockets it needed to meet Beltran's demands and keep him as a part of the series until the very end. Though his role was diminished on Voyager, Chakotay was a solid character that Captain Janeway and the other crew members needed. Uh, That's funny. That's really funny. (laughs) Trying to get fired. That's even funnier. They're like, we're going to give you all the money and then we're going to have you get with the girl at the end. Uh, so right now, uh, like right now, like now, now, there is a major crowdfunded documentary in its final stages called To the Journey, looking back at Star Trek Voyager. Ooh. It's been three years in the making so far, and uh, it's got interviews with a lot of the cast members, uh, brand new interviews. This isn't like clips pulled from everywhere else. Right. Uh, they're making it on the Paramount lot. Like it, it's cool. Looks really good. I believe it comes out this year. I'm very excited. That'll be awesome. It'll be a good documentary. Did you ever see? <sighs> it had to have been like a extra on one of our Voyager DVDs or something. Like the first episode, or at least a little bit of it, with the original character that they cast as Genevieve Bujol, yeah, I believe, or something like yeah. that. That's uh, weird. To it watch. was weird. Yeah. <laughs> It's like watching the bits of Back to the Future with the first guy they picked to be Marty. Oh. It's very strange. I didn't even know that existed. You didn't know that existed? No, it's no, really weird. That. They filmed a lot with him already before they're like, you know what? Let's bring in Michael J. Fox instead. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh. It was wow. Genevieve's idea to leave. She's like, ah. She filmed like two days and she was gone. Like, nope, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Which I'm glad. I think they had uh, Kate asked Mulgrew Kate Mulgrew and she declined or something. I don't remember the whole thing. I, no, I think Genevieve was supposed to be the first. I think Genevieve yeah. was who they had in mind. Hmm. Uh, but either way, the right person got it. I agree. Uh, her character has not returned in any other form other than uh, we saw her once briefly in Star Trek Nemesis, which was a next generation, the last next generation movie. She was briefly on the screen because this this took place after they had gotten back. Right. Um, I don't remember that. You don't remember it? It's very brief. She's like talking to Captain Picard for like 
a, a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she did come back uh, as an animated character in Star Trek Prodigy, which mm. is the uh, the CG animated Nickelodeon show that got canceled after its first season. But Netflix is picking it up for a second season. All right. So Netflix is going to be like kind of re-releasing the first season as they're working on the second one. Uh, and that's going to be coming up. And she's kind of she's kind of the doctor in this situation. She is a holographic um, captain. It's like the EMC, oh. the emergency or no EC, oh. ECH, emergency captain hologram, something like that. That he yeah. became in that, that <laughs> uh-huh. final episode. Oh, uh-huh. I remember that moment too when he <laughs> activate the ECH. <laughs> All those pips show up on his collar. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was all pretend, man. <laughs> it was all pretend. It's a good show. I need to go watch it again now. <laughs> Did you see the... I, I don't remember what the event was. I'm pretty sure it was celebrating Star Trek all around. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they had a skit set up on the bridge of the Voyager, which was on a stage actually in front of a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. with Captain Janeway. And the rest of the crew were Frasier characters. Really? It was the dad. It was Niles. It was, um, why can't I remember her name? Daphne. Roz and Daphne. Daphne, so I can remember. (laughs) It was them four. And Janeway was the Frasier character of the thing. But they're on the starship. And so all the jokes are Frasier-esque jokes, but in space. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it's hilarious. And I'm going to show it to you after we finish You better. You and better. you should go find it on YouTube <laughs> if you're watching this right now. Is it called? <sighs> I don't remember what it's called. Just Catherine. <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> that would be a funny name. Uh, so we asked LTN, uh, we asked the LTN Discord, what was your favorite uh, second generation Star Trek show? Was it Next Generation? Uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, or Enterprise. I kept thinking Enterprise. I'm like, I want to say these in order. Uh, <laughs> and by far, the Next Generation one. Ooh, yeah. Uh, clearly, all wow. the other three did about dead even. Uh, wow. But that's okay. They're wrong. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and that wraps up this week's look at Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> What do you think of Voyager? Where does Janeway rank on your list of captains? Who's your favorite character and why is it the doctor? <laughs> we want to know. Tell us at the socials at Nerd History LTN. Wow. First try. <laughs> Subscribe to the Nerd History Podcast via the Love Thy Nerd YouTube channel or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And find us on lovethynerd.com slash nerdhistorypod. <laughs> And we also have our daily Today in Nerd History short and article that comes out every day at lovethynerd.com slash nerdhistory with photos and nerdy facts. Whoa. <laughs> Did you hear that? That just made my surprise every time. <laughs> <laughs> just received a message from the nerd future. All right, we got a news story from the future from December 10th, 2057. Whoa. Super Mario Stroll will be released for the Nintendo Walker. 
the new mobility aid peripheral created by Nintendo for its elderly fans. Super Mario Stroll is the first of its kind VR experience. This innovative game com- combines the nostalgic charm of the Mario universe with a practical, easy-to-use walking aid, encouraging physical activity and mental engagement. Super Mario Stroll promotes gentle physical activity. Players can explore the colorful worlds at their own pace, walking through iconic Mario landscapes while engaging in light exercises designed to maintain mobility and balance. The game includes multiple op- multiplayer options, allowing players to team up for adventures or compete in friendly challenges. Invite the grandkids to join in and feed the Yoshis with you around Mushroom Pond. Aww. <laughs> This legit sounds like something that's really going to happen in the future. We'll be back next week as we travel back in time to another event to celebrate in their history. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. I'm Deidre. And remember, in the past, present, and future, Jesus loves you, nerds. Get out of here. I was thinking Mario S. Get out of here, you Goomba. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You leave that poor mushroom boy alone.